1: While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. So I've got that. Welcome back to another episode of Barnyard Language. We're happy that you're joining us here again today on the pod. And Katie, what's going on since last week? We have to get back into this routine of like coming up with things to say and remembering what actually happened during the week. So what's happening on the farm? What's happening? I'm going to
0: have to start writing notes. But I guess I'm going to have to write myself a post-it note to remind me to take notes.
1: This is so what I've been I doing. I just use the note function on my phone to actually remind myself that some things actually do happen.
0: Could I just have you put it in your note thing to remind for, me to for you write to notes? Write no yeah, that. Do I have to remind you
1: every day? What happened today? What happened today?
0: Yes. Yes. It'll be like a Doogie Hauser at the end of every episode, you know, where he'd sit down at his computer and write his little diary. <laughs> No? Okay. I'm aging myself. Sorry, listeners under 40. The roofing crew came back today and put the gutters on the barn. So that looks real nice. And
1: I don't know if you actually, I think you posted some pictures, but I don't think you told people about the big roof. Oh, switch up at your place.
0: The had a roofing crew come out and put a new roof on our barn, took it all the way down to the original planks, put on new sheeting, put on new shingles. It looks gorgeous. We were missing a lot of shingles. They also repaired the, there's two cupolas on top of the barn, the big metal ones. They repaired those and put a new roof on. And our barn is, I think, 110 feet long and 70 feet wide, if that gives people a concept of how big a roof we're talking about. And it's 70 feet tall. Our barn is 100 feet 100. Hundred years old this year or hundred years old last year. Anyway, does not matter. Old, old. And I was saying
1: too. I was surprised to see a shingle barn because I you don't see or I guess I haven't seen many barns with shingles. But you said that that was a also a, a heritage conservation. Piece
0: that is it? a because we're part of the Iowa Barn Foundation. They do require a shingled roof and also apparently to install tin, we would have had to rip off the shingles, put on new shingles, and then put tin over the shingles because oh, there yes. wasn't a a substrate that was solid enough to put tin onto. Right. So now it matches the house and it looks great. And if it's you thought well, shingling your house was expensive get a quote for doing your barn. Let's just yeah, put it that way. It. They did a beautiful job, got it done in less than two weeks. I have a terrifying photo of one of their workers sitting on the end of the ridge pole, texting and eating his lunch. He was wearing a safety harness. They are insured. Yeah, It's Makes just me clear think of that-
1: That old picture of the people, is that on the New York skyline, you know, sitting on- Exactly, that, that exactly. B. Sitting yeah. on
0: the I-beam and eating your lunch. Yeah. yeah. Not everyone is is as afraid of heights as I am, which is good because otherwise we would not have roofing crews.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no Um, one would do those jobs.
0: No. So they came back today and hung the gutters, which looks amazing. I had no idea how janky the old gutters were until they put the new ones on. It looks a lot different. They also brought their lift truck around to the front of the house and put my Starlink dish up finally, which is also amazing. Mm -hmm. In a permanent location? Yes. Not sitting on top of our farmer's market trailer. Much less likely to be decapitated now. Yeah. So that's very exciting. Other than that, not a whole hell of a lot. Third crop hay is done finally, thank God. And we're starting to turn our eyes towards harvest. And by the time this comes out, we will be on an airplane back from our first flight with the kids' family vacation to she the says ocean.
1: Vacation very hesitantly. so. <laughs>
0: yeah if you could Where see yes. my face it would we are going to los angeles for a family reunion slash memorial service for my uncle who passed away this winter he was old enough for it not to be a horribly tragic thing although it is still a huge loss for our family he had a very yeah, sure full and adventurous life and it was a life well lived and well appreciated and Leaves well, behind I'm excited a lot of to
1: hear next week how all of that goes, because yeah. we know that vacations
0: with children are just yeah. trip. quote unquote vacations. It's, it's a trip. Um, <laughs> it's astounding to see how much more I was willing to pay for direct flights, because the idea <laughs> of, I mean, at yeah. least like once you get them on the airplane and you're in the air, they can't really go anywhere like they can yeah. terrorize the people who are in the plane but other sure. than yeah. that yeah but you just have deep. to
1: deal with what's happening in in those seats and yeah. then when you arrive at your destination you're
0: done yeah i've heard there are people whose children are not like this but i don't know any of those people so if you are those people don't tell me about it and it's very exciting stuff so we're going to stay in a hotel with the whole family and go to the beach and um hopefully i will be able to report back next week about how great it went. I'm going to manifest that it's gonna be a terrific trip.
1: Well, you'll report back no matter how it went. And hopefully hopefully. it will be great.
0: (laughs) If I don't report back, please start gathering bail money or (laughs) maybe don't send a search party. I'll come back when I'm ready. (laughs) Send
1: out a missing persons report.
0: Yeah, yeah. How are things at your place, Arlene?
1: Things are good. The one thing I forgot to tell you last week is that a certain cow had a calf and now she's back in the barn so (laughs) my least favorite cow saturn is now back to being milked every day and she's kicking less but trying to hurt me more it feels like she's got this real head swing going on and it Doesn't just come at me when I'm prepping her, but she'll also try and take a swing at me while I'm prepping the cow beside her. So I just have to be on my toes and and ready for for Saturn. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, you know, I I mentioned her a few times, and Katie even created some lovely artwork of her for me. But yeah, she's not my favorite, but she's milking well and she had a heifer. So, you know, maybe the, the tradition will continue, or maybe I should be spending more time in the calf barn just hanging out with with her calf so that it doesn't Just hand attractive. feeding
0: it yeah. and yeah, exactly. bribing it into complacency
1: friend. yeah exactly
0: do you wear boots then or have you considered switching to like sneakers so that you can make a faster getaway
1: i milk and running shoes yeah okay.
0: yeah i, I, I was actually kidding but okay cool no
1: No, it's more comfortable for me and we, it's, you know, we have shavings in the alleyway and straw between the cows and, and we're doing a lot of scraping as we go. We're we're not in the parlor. So it's relatively, as long as I watch where I step, it's relatively dry. So yeah, I, yeah, I would rather choose.
0: Yeah. See, I guess I've I've only ever milked in a parlor. So it was wet. Down yes we yeah working, exactly yeah you know, the farm i grew up on we milked off. in a
1: parlor so it was yeah it definitely wet all the time yeah but yeah we're in a tie stall. so
0: so arlene would it would it be fair to say that she is your arch nemusis
1: oh i would not say that but
0: <laughs> okay that sorry listeners if there's anybody <laughs> left between us telling you how old we are and that <laughs> joke <months>. that's <laughs> i'm actually pretty proud of that one it's been a while since <laughs> i've come up with anything that bad yeah uh,
1: and anyway. the other thing I wanted to report is that I have my first official speaking engagement next I week. I believe in... that we
0: did some official speaking engagements together That's last true. year. But yes.
1: On, okay. first in was, person, in-person. In-person. engagement Where I actually have to see the people in real life that I'm talking to. Yeah. First of those. And so. What are you talking week, about, Charlene? The podcast, I guess. We've still got to oh. work that part i have still got to work that part out. So next week. Are you going to let me. Stereo, <laughs> the international plowing match, which is, it calls itself international, but I think it's only ever in Ontario. So I'm not sure where the word international came from, but yeah. So the IPM or international plowing match is not all that far from here. So I'm doing two tailgate talks, two different afternoons at the IPM. So if you live in Ontario and are going to be at the plowing match in Kempville, Ontario, you can come and see me on Tuesday and Wednesday. And there's kids activities. And then on the Thursday of the same week, I'm attending the Eastern Ontario Ag Women's Network Day. We have a there's a guest speaker and not me and lunch and all that kind of stuff. So I'm also excited to hang out with some other women in agriculture. So sounds like I'm at the plowing match all week. I will not be doing any plowing,
0: but I will be there. Also next Saturday. And I believe Sunday, which will be the week that this comes out. Next Saturday and Sunday, which is the week that that I'm just going to start over. Go with the date. For Midwestern listeners, this Saturday and Sunday is also the Cranberry Festival in Warrens, Wisconsin. If you listened to our episode with Amber of Cranberry Chats. It is, I believe, the largest cranberry festival in the country. I bet it's it is. Uh, September 24th and 25th. That is also the Iowa Barn Foundation All State Barn Tour. We're only an hour and change from Warren's, so you could come and see us and see our barn and then go see some cranberries or the reverse. That's a fun field I suppose. Right there. Yeah, right. I am super bummed to not be able to go to the Cranberry Festival because I once again was the one who signed us up to be on the barn tour. So I can't really be too grumpy about it, I guess.
1: You can Um, only be in one place at a time, unfortunately. Even I can only be in one place at a time. That's right. Yeah. All right. I think that's us for this week. So good luck on your trip. Looking forward to hearing how it goes. Thanks. And we will go ahead and.
0: Oh, Arlene, did you have but some yeah. exciting uh, familial automotive news to share as well, in case folks in oh, your yes. area need in, to get their crash helmets out? or
1: a new parenting uh. news, my oldest, the lovely, my girl child, passed her driving test today. So that means that she's passed phase two of the driving experience. So at this stage, she can drive by herself and not just with her parents or her driving instructor. So it's a whole new world. I'm actually... I imagine Very the negotiations sure. for yeah.
0: vehicles begins now. Yeah. I'm sure she's actually a good driver. She looks like a pretty responsible, level-headed yes. kid yep. for being, she what, 16? A... Yes. Um,
1: yeah. She's yeah. a pretty good driver. Passed her test. So obviously the, the tester thought that she was going to do okay. I'm sure she'll yeah. be fine. I mean, I'm the yeah. one who hit the deer last week. So
0: yeah, well, that's <laughs> those it. can't be avoided, though. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it is. That's All right. right. Well, congratulations to her anyway
1: yes and all right we will move into our guest part of the show
0: all right all right
1: i can hear your uh chickens Katie.
0: not sorry at all arlene it's beautiful out no, it's, i as.
1: know it's it's part of the ambiance that's why we're called barnyard language right
0: i think so today my, we're talking oh sorry go ahead i think my <laughs> father-in-law got all the tractors out of the yard finally so hopefully he won't come back with that <laughs> yeah Drive back through. Yep.
1: So today we're talking to Mariah Vargo, who's joining us today from Kipling, Saskatchewan. I always mispronounce that, don't I? How do you say Saskatchewan the real way if you live I think there? I
2: think you did it right. Okay, good. <laughs>
1: one, not one, right?
2: I'm sure there are probably people from here who say it differently too. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. I just don't want to, don't want to offend anyone from, from Sask. We'll say it that way. So Mariah, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way to introduce yourself to our listeners. And we ask, what are you growing? So for our farming guests, this can cover crops and livestock, but it also covers families, businesses, and all manner of other things. So Mariah, what are you growing?
2: I was like super pumped because I had planted my vegetable garden and was so excited. And we had a wicked storm that went through here, a plow wind, and it like took out three massive trees and like crushed my garden and a oh, little bit no. of my soul with it. So right now, all I'm actually like growing from the ground is a little pot of herbs and not even that is doing very well. <laughs> oh. But if I, if we look at it, maybe not necessarily from that perspective. I think in this season, I'm really focusing on growing and like cultivating beautiful relationships and friendships. I think that that's what I'll say.
1: Yeah. And are you also growing some children?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I do. I grow in lots of children. I got so how like-
1: many of those do you have and what ages are they?
2: I have four. So my oldest just turned 11, Aiden. Then we have Noah and Noah actually turns eight in two days, yep. two days. And then will will turn three in October and Emmett is 18 months. So I've got four boys, all boys, and I am definitely trying to grow them into some good
0: young men. Yeah, that's a big spread of ages too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mariah, can you tell us a little little about how you and your husband met? I was totally Google stalking you and it was a super cute story. So
2: so I, I was a single mom for a period of time and I'm originally from a larger center in Saskatchewan. I'm from Regina originally. And my very first teaching contract took me out to a small town and I remained there for a few years, moved back to Regina for a little bit. And then wound up coming back to Kipling where I am currently. And Through that, my oldest son, Aiden, uh, one of his really good friends happens to be my husband's nephew. And so we kind of met through running into each other at hockey and ball and all of those sporting type events in a small town community. And then knowing Austin's sister, I was like, well, this guy, I don't think he's a serial killer. So, and he seems good with kids. So we'll (laughs) give him a chance. So, and kind of the rest is, is history from from there and it's been an amazing beautiful journey he is not the biological father of my first two children but in every other way that is more meaningful perhaps than that blood connection he is definitely a dad to them and and steps up for them big time so yeah that's the story there
1: that's great so can you tell us a little bit about your background in education when it comes to supporting parents and children? Obviously you work in the, in the school system, but, but what's your background in that context?
2: Well, I feel like I've got that education component. Like I have a bachelor of education degree, and then I have additional certification through inclusive education. And then I am working on a master's in psychology and then In addition to that, I've taken a number of other courses that have to do with mental health or self-regulation or trauma, or I'm currently working on getting my accreditation as a yoga teacher for kids and a breathwork course that could be used for any age group. So that's part of it. But what I feel is even more meaningful is the personal experience that I have. So like I said, I was a single mom for a really long time. I had my son when I was in university, Aiden, and his dad chose never to be in the picture. And so I navigated that and finished my degree. I used to have to take him to my university classes and he'd get passed around in class. So that's one hat that I wear. I also have to co-parent with my Noah's dad and his wife. I've also been a step-parent myself in a previous relationship. So I've had to navigate that. I went through the process of becoming an accredited or... A certified foster parent, however you want to word that in Saskatchewan. I went through, through that and that has its own ups and downs and hardships. And so I feel like all of those pieces give me a unique perspective and skill set perhaps. And then within those, you know, there are many women who, who struggle with postpartum and you know I've experienced that <laughs> and navigating that so there's so many things that I feel like are a huge benefits because I've, I've been there and everyone's experience is unique but we all have pieces maybe that are perhaps a little similar so yeah
1: yeah for sure and I mean
2: uh,
1: yeah and with each challenge there's the opportunity to learn right and yeah. and the things that you learn in education you know you've obviously been able to put into practice too right I mean it's fine to to get a degree or get a get a certification and think there you know I checked that off the list and now I know that that tool or I've got that figured out but to actually know what works and and to put them into practice and and really see how they how they work in real life is huge too
2: yeah well I find too like if I were to go And like, say to someone and be like, okay, here's this strategy. I've never tried it myself. But this book says it works. Yeah, try it out. And when it doesn't work for you, that's kind of on you. You know, it's it's not helpful for people. Whereas if you see someone and they're in the trenches with you, and you're like, Oh, my God, like, this is what happened today. I tried this, it bombed. I did this, this by some miracle worked, maybe try this instead. But it's a lot more relatable as opposed to someone who maybe has no clue what your situation is, I guess. Mm
0: -hmm, For sure. can't relate. Yeah, I feel like a lot of why I wanted to do the podcast is that what we see about parenting is either like, everything is perfect all the time, you know, or like, they're going to make a Lifetime movie about this shit. And (laughs) really... It's basically all been in the middle. You know, I can see why that wouldn't make like a great TV show or whatever, but it is a lot more realistic for where life actually is. So I'm going to bump up the question that I added. One thing that we try to push is to not give unrequested advice because it's fucking rude. Is there ever a time that it's okay to give unrequested advice? And what are your thoughts on sharing the benefits of your experience with folks without as i put it being a overbearing know-it-all jackass because there are you know things we learn through experience that can be helpful but it can be really shitty if someone's not in a place to hear it yeah
2: yeah that's such a good question my initial like knee-jerk gut reaction is to say like no, I don't think there's a good time or that it's, no, I don't think it's okay to give unrequested advice because you're exactly right. If that person isn't ready to receive it and they're not interested and they're not in a great place, then they're probably going to think that you're someone who thinks that they're better than them or like has their nose up in the air. And it would tick me off too. I think that perhaps this is where social media perhaps might be helpful in the sense that like You can put content out there that you think people might find helpful. And ultimately, it's up to them whether or not they're going to be receptive to that, perhaps. So, in terms of like a friend, like if I go and sit down with a friend, and I, and actually, this is a really good example. I have a girlfriend who's going through a separation, and there are some things. So, for instance, you know, she's needing that feeling of she's feeling rejection right and she needs to feel love and like she's attractive and all of that jazz. and she's seeking that without necessarily consciously thinking of the impact that's having on her daughter but in that situation as much as I want to be like hey you know maybe you need to think about this she's probably going to go tell me to fuck off so uh, because that's not that's not what she wants to hear right now so I guess in that situation, if it's someone that you're actually close to, you can ask them, do you want my advice or do you just want me to listen? And then ultimately, you know, and if they say, no, I genuinely want your advice, then that's your end. To be like, okay, you said you wanted it. Here it is. And know that I'm saying this with love for you and I just want to help. And this is what I see. It doesn't mean it's necessarily right. You do with it what you want to, but here it is.
1: And even if you ask someone, do you want my advice? They might say no, but maybe time will pass and the next day will come around and they'll be like, you know, maybe I am in a place, whether it's something you observed with their kids or yeah, or a more personal, you know, individual thing. But if you say, you know, I have, I've learned some things or I have an idea, do you want to hear it right now? And they say no, but if they come back to you later and they're like, you know, I've thought about it maybe I am like today, I can hear it. And, and then, yeah, then it's still up to them, whether they take or do what, what you said, (laughs) seriously, or do anything with it. And that's, that's also their choice of their life.
2: Well, and it's so hard, I feel like with kids too, because a lot of the time, and I don't know what it's like for both of you, but I know in the past, like having someone try and give you feedback on your parenting, feels like a huge personal attack, like right to your core. Mm-hmm. And even if the message that's being sent isn't that, I feel like almost hundred percent of the time, the message that is received is you're a bad mom yep. and you're failing and you suck at this and it's your fault that your kid's acting this way and bad, 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 bad. And so that makes it really difficult to ever want to, to get any of that or to get help or to admit that you're struggling because that's unfortunately the message that seems to come across a lot of the time. So yeah, it's definitely a tough one.
1: And that's often because of the head place that you're in, right? Where where if you're struggling with your child or there's a behavior that you're, you're noticing and then you don't know how to deal with, then you think you caused it. And so many times you didn't, right? Or, you know, like you might not even be exacerbating. It just could be the way your child is. And yes, there might be other techniques that will work better, but it doesn't mean that what you have, like A does not equal B, right? You didn't necessarily do something to make them do this thing, but yeah, not knowing how to stop it or how to help them makes you feel like, yeah, you've done something wrong along the
0: way. I feel like I try very much to keep unsolicited advice to product recommendations. So, you know, Costco formula is just as good as name brand formula. These bottles worked really well for us. These diapers worked well for us. And even, you know, this parenting book has been really helpful for me because kids are fuckers. You know, or if there's like an immediate safety concern, like, hey, did you notice that your child is being carried off by a Canada goose? Something along <laughs> those lines. That I'd be like, you know, no judgment because kids are fucking monsters. But In this child moment, is being yeah. eaten, actively so, being. <laughs> yes, maybe address that. But yeah, pass that. Not unless they ask. Never. Even if they do ask frequently, still never. Because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. But yeah, I I agree, Arlene, too, that when something's going wrong, there is absolutely zero chance that I'm in the headspace to hear constructive criticism about it. You know, when my kids are like throwing shit at each other and, you know, being the worst and, you know, that's not the right time to absorb that, you know.
2: Sorry. I, I think there's a difference, too, between being like, OK, I've experienced a similar situation and like I've had this extreme behavior, XYZ. I, I tried this, you know, if someone is open to your advice as opposed to being like, well, this person, this random stranger, this person in a book says do this. So do this. I mean, I have no experience with it, but try that. I feel like there's a difference there too,
0: but That's honestly most of my justification for my ongoing tremendous level of oversharing because I just dump everything out and then people are free to kind of take what they will from that, I guess. So, you know, like I've tried to be really open about postpartum depression and infertility and all that, just because if you show people your experience with that, it makes it easier for them to come forward and connect about it I think rather than me just being like I've noticed you don't have any children please let me tell you about (laughs) like please let me get all up in your business about this because this is totally something that we should be talking about
2: well that's I think a huge kudos to you though too because that's having to be really vulnerable and that's really that can be terrifying
0: I think it's mostly that I don't have the self control to keep my mouth shut but thank you
2: (laughs) (laughs) But even that, though, like, you're kind of brushing it off. I think that you do need to give yourself a pat on the back there, though, because, like, that's hard. And there are lots of people who aren't willing to have that conversation, especially in a a public setting, right?
0: Well, and I think that the unwillingness to talk publicly about it makes it so much easier to feel ashamed of it because we don't talk about it. We hide it. It's not, you know, we don't talk about that where people will hear it. And that just adds to feeling like we've done something wrong because the things we don't talk about are things we've done wrong. And, you know, I didn't do anything to cause my infertility. I didn't do anything to cause my postpartum issues except have kids, which, you It's know, kind of the point. Was kind of the point, yeah. And was worth it. But, you know, it's, it's not like I was out doing something horrible. And then had fertility problems, and should be deeply ashamed of it. And even like, I had gestational diabetes, and I had so many women tell me I was so brave for even mentioning that I had gestational diabetes. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, what am I supposed to be ashamed of here? Like, what? Yeah, this is a, a thing That's that happens. Ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah. we have better things to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. I feel like we could all do much worse things that we could enjoy more than you know, producing too much uh, insulin.
1: So Mariah, you've recently started a platform company. What would you call it?
2: I don't even know. I'm still <laughs> figuring it okay. out. Okay. What would we maybe call so, it like a platform.
1: Sure. Yeah. So we, you started something called Motherhood Unraveled. And I wanted you to be able to talk about your vision for what Motherhood Unraveled is and what your goals are for the project. And in writing up the script, I also found out that... Unraveled in the U.S. has two L's and in Canada has one. So if you're looking it up online, it's the one version of Unraveled. So that's a side note. So tell us about what mother hun- Motherhood Unraveled is.
2: Um, so basically, it's the idea behind it is the concept of community and creating a safe space for, for women initially, because I feel like motherhood is so freaking isolating and you think with social media we're more connected than we've ever been before hypothetically but if you think about it how much meaningful connection are you actually getting where you are able to put yourself out there and truly talk about and ask for help and communicate your needs in that format it's probably minimal at least I feel yeah. um, and so with it too it it's social media is a beautiful thing but it's also really damaging in that it's selectively showing people all of the pretty perfect parts of motherhood and it's setting the rest of us up to feel like failures and to be afraid to not be able to do those things or to have the pinterest birthday party or to you know have kids who maybe are having a meltdown or x y z to not have the perfect house or like that. You know what I mean? And that's not the reality of what motherhood is. And so I wanted to create a space where women can come together and number one, spend some time getting to know themselves again. Because I, I don't know about both of you, but when I became a mother, I kind of lost who I was before. And it wasn't until like probably three years ago where I was like, okay, I don't even know who I am anymore. Like, what did I even used to do? What do I even like? Because every single conversation I had only revolved around my kids. And I see it with so many women too. Like, if I'm going to a PD event and we're asked to introduce ourselves, if it's a room full of women, every single woman is going to share something that has to do with either accomplishment and accomplishment of their kids how many kids they have, and that's basically it. It's not who they are because your kids, yes, are a huge part of you, but they are not the main defining factor of who you are as a person. And so kind of getting back to who are you really – been supporting you in that journey and kind of getting you to look at your own shit a little bit because I believe that a lot of us carry wounding and and baggage from our own childhood and experiences as we've grown up and that impacts our ability to show up and be there for our kids so it's there's a lot within it. There's the sense of community of gathering around with people who intentionally are going to be there and show up for you and be authentic and have that supportive space to ask questions, get feedback, brainstorm solutions, just visit. But then there's also that piece of learning and growing and trying to have some support and accountability to be the best version of yourself. That's the starting place. And then eventually I want to be able to offer almost like a kid's component. In education, I see kids are really struggling and I know families are struggling too, but I I see a lot of the kids part in my job and they are struggling so badly. And so looking at what tools and strategies can we teach them that provide them with some independence and some knowledge and skills So that they can care for themselves and have some strategies to help them cope. Because a lot of them can't cope, is what I'm seeing. I deal with huge meltdowns on a daily basis in school compared to when I started versus now. I feel like a lot more kids struggle emotionally and behaviorally. And so looking at, okay, how can we support them and wrap around and support their family as well? And hit it kind of in both edges. We support the mom and we support the kids, because I don't think that without doing both, you can't really support that family without targeting both.
0: I think it's interesting, especially looking at, you know, because we're raising farm kids, what the connection is to kids being so much safer, almost, for that lack of coping skills that You know, our kids learn to take physical risks and they burn off a lot of physical energy. And so that gives them a very different sense of their own abilities, I think, and their own abilities to keep themselves safe. And it just seems like kids are so encouraged to be careful all the time. I don't want to sound like a crazy parent who's like, you know, I let my kids play with dynamite. It's fine. They're four, you know, like, no, there are basic safety rules, but I think we've put so much effort on being quiet and calm and book learning and, you know, sit down and shut up. And that's not how kids' bodies work. And that, you know, as someone who deals with anxiety, physical movement is a huge part of re... Realigning myself and recentering myself. And so if we're not giving kids ways to deal with that, then we can't be surprised when they're not using words to express their feelings. Yeah. So Let
2: yeah. your kids well, blow it up.
0: There. <laughs> parenting I advice given.
2: Scent of the the thing though, too, is like, if you think about it, if you have someone hovering over you all the time being like, oh, careful, oh, careful, oh, careful. Don't do this. Oh, careful. It's going to make you anxious. And so, you know, as parents, we might not realize that we're doing that, but essentially we're teaching our kids that the world isn't a safe place. And we're essentially starting to develop that piece of anxiety in our kids because we're teaching them a, that they can't trust themselves to make good decisions. And I'm looking at basic everyday things. Like, obviously we're not going to give them the dynamite. We're not going to go and give them a power tool, like things like that. But you know, if they're on a play apparatus... And, you know, they're climbing. Instead of being like, oh, careful, oh, careful, oh, careful, let me help you. It could be something as simple as, okay, like, do you feel okay doing this? Do you want my help? Like, and I'm watching and a lot of the time, and I've seen it with my toddler, he'll tell me if, if he needs help. And he'll tell me, no, too high. And they, they know, but we're almost essentially taking that away from them. And, re- and building in some of that anxiety because we're so worried ourselves. And I do like how you brought up the farm piece because I I would I wish that I lived on a farm. I don't. I live in a small town, which I'm grateful for. But I would love to be out on a farm because I, I do feel like there's a correlation. And there is some scientific studies that show that being in nature has significant benefits with helping us to soothe and regulate And calm our nervous systems. It's just great for your your mental health and the physical component too i think it's interesting that you mentioned that with anxiety there's lots and lots of research coming out about trauma and so our brain is such an amazing amazing thing but on some levels you know it's still parts of it are still back in the caveman times <laughs> so dr bruce perry is like a leading brain and trauma specialist and so he talks about in the brain we have like kind of three main areas And I'm not going to talk about like the fancy names, but basically we've got our highest level, which is like our ability to rationalize. And then we've got our emotional. And if we think of it as a triangle at the bottom is like our physical and our regulating part of our brain, which is the brainstem. And so when something triggers us into a trauma response, essentially, what happens is that upper part of your brain, that rationalizing and the emotional part, it just totally shuts down. And so you can't, access it. And so that's why that physical activity to be able to kind of regulate yourself, you need to do that physical activity. And the reason behind that is that if we go back to caveman times, let's say you have like a saber-tooth tiger that's coming tiger that's coming at you, your brain is automatically going to be like, oh shit. Okay, I'm going to either it's going to quickly assess and be like, okay, how am I going to not die here? I'm either going to run I'm going to fight or I'm going to play dead. And so it's going to quickly try and figure out which of those options is the best to ensure their survival. So if we think of fleeing, running and fighting, you're going to expend a huge amount of physical energy doing either of those two things. And you're either going to make it and you're going to survive or you're going to be dead. But either way, all of So when our brain triggers that fight or flee response, there's a huge amount of hormones and stuff that get pumped through your system to kind of get you ready to do that. So it might send blood and hormones to your muscles so that you can run and fight. And so that, again, is part of why those upper parts of your brain just totally turn off because your brain is just focusing on surviving. It's like you're not going to rationalize with the tiger. You're not going to talk it out of eating you. Like we need to do these fight or flee. And so back in those days, if you fight or flee, all of that energy comes out of your body and it's gone. You can go on living your life until the next time you need to try and run away or do whatever. The other option is if it's like, okay, you're hooped, you might as well just play dead and we'll hope for the best. Your brain, again, is so smart. It's going to send signals to slow your body down to almost kind of make it seem like you're dead. So again, hopefully if you survive, you run away after those, all those chemicals and things in your body are are out. Why that's important is if we look at today, no, we don't have tigers chasing us. And, but we still oftentimes have pieces of things that are triggering a trauma response for many of us on a daily basis, if not multiple times a day. And trauma necessarily isn't always that capital T trauma, like being in a car accident or 9-11 or shooting or anything like that, or abuse. Trauma sometimes is, is being exposed to those images. Trauma sometimes is being rejected. Trauma is sometimes, like there's so many things that can trigger a trauma response. And so parents, as well as kids, sometimes can enter into that state at multiple times around a day. But if they're not doing some kind of rigorous physical activity to get all of those hormones and chemicals out of the body, it starts to build up to the point that we end up with like chronic stress that results in health conditions. And so there's a book, too, called Burnout by Emily Nagasaki. And it has to do specifically with the stress cycle and its impact on women. And it's probably like one of the best books I've ever read. It's phenomenal, but it does talk specifically about this cycle and its impact on women themselves and and ways to kind of help with that. But the biggest connection is that if you are feeling anxious or you're in a trauma response, talking it out isn't gonna help you because that part of your brain's turned off. What you need to do is, is move your body. And that's going to be able to get that stuff out of your system and help you to regulate so that you can go back or so that you can go back to your kids once they're more regulated and out of that response to teach or coach or rationalize, problem solve, whatever it is with them. But when they're in that mode, it's not happening. Or when you're in that mode, you can't do that either.
0: So. Mariah, I was actually about to bring up burnout. I'd really like to loop from here background to the importance of community. And I know that one of your big goals is creating community and realizing how much of that community we lack, especially in rural areas, because there used to be people out here and you used to have you know, lots of generations and siblings and spouses and kids and aunts and uncles and grandparents and everybody all lived on the same farm, all lived in the same area. You know, and so you had that support. But now, too, I think it's so hard if you don't have. An a- I'm trying to find a nice way to say this. A community of parents who are terrible parents in roughly the same way that you were a terrible parent. It's really hard to be that, that parent at the playground who's like, go ahead, you're probably going to fall. I don't really care. As long as you don't break any bones. Like, we're good. You know, when all the other parents are like, oh, watch out, watch out, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to let your kids take risks and explore and do all that when you're in community with other folks who let their kids run like little wild creatures yeah, um, and just the importance to community in recentering that stress response and feeling safe, but Building community and being in community with people is hard. It takes work. And I know I was talking, I think, actually to Arlene the other day about how hard it is to be a friend as a parent. And that I thought it would be, you know, like you'd be a grown up and all this shit would be easy. And it's not, you know, not even like making friends, but just being a good friend and keeping friends and having the energy to give a shit about what's happening in anybody else's life you know and so I'm wondering what your thoughts on our are, are on how we can encourage community while accepting that it's hard work you know and it's it's hard to care about other people yeah. I've like said the worst person in the world that I'm like no no caring about other people is bullshit there's your sometimes I,
2: I think it probably feels like just another item on your to-do list right where it's like, oh, shoot, I'm a terrible friend. I haven't messaged so-and-so in how long. I need to put that on my to-do list. And then it becomes a chore, right? And so I I can totally appreciate how it's like, oh, man, like I'm just trying to survive here, let alone throw in all these other people that I'm trying to be a good human being to. So uh, I think part of that too is maybe evaluating your own expectation that you're playing or putting on yourself of like what do you constitute as a good friend? What do you constitute as, because maybe what you are and actually checking out, what do you have the capacity to do right now? Because, and even communicating that and being like, Hey, I really value you as a friend. I'm going through a really busy season right now, but just let, I just want you to know, like, I care about you and I'm here for you, but like, I'm, I just need you to know I'm going through a lot right now. And if you don't hear from me very much, this is why. And you know, that's being very transparent and communicating instead of that other person potentially sitting there and going, oh, she doesn't give a shit about me. (laughs) She's a terrible friend.
0: I think it's really important. One thing I've been working on a lot too is assessing what part of it actually matters because I get so hung up on things like having to actually put communicating with my friends literally on my to-do list that I get so caught in like, what kind of God awful person has to actually write down text friends, you know, that it really helps me if I can remember that the important part is communicating with my, you know, with my community and not what I have to do to remind myself that it is important to communicate with those folks. And so I think, you know, really assessing where the key part is, and that can make such a difference.
1: So we talked before the interview about setting aside some time for you to talk to us about some strategies for working with kids. And you've already taught, talked a lot about that trauma response. And I know that I can see that in those meltdowns or that, you know, those times where kids have tantrums and, you know, in those moments, you, you can't talk to them. (laughs) You can't rationalize what's going on. You can't, you can't, they can't, but they're not in a place to, to, for rational thought for sure. But what else did you want to talk to us about today in terms of helping us out with our kiddos?
2: Well, the first thing I, cause I was trying to think of, okay, like what are, what's going to be the easiest number one and most meaningful, I think for people. And I'm hoping <laughs> that this will be it. The few things that I have, the first thing was building meaningful connection into your everyday. And so Connection is probably like the hill I'm gonna die on. I think it is so incredibly important. I feel like in the way that life and society are right now, we don't have a lot of meaningful connection with our partners, with our friends, with our kids, with anybody. And if we think about our kids too, you might be like, well, I'm with my kids a lot. You know, I'm driving them to dance and I'm driving them to hockey and I'm doing X, Y, Z. And I'm like being super mom, taking them to all these things. But are you actually meaningfully connecting with them? Or are they sitting on an iPad? Which, no judgment. It's like, if you need that to be able to not have screaming and fighting and kids beating on each other for the drive, ha- like, I don't care. But the point I'm trying to make there is, are you engaging with them? Are you, are you meaningfully connecting with them? And the answer is probably not a lot. How many times do, do families get to sit down together? and have supper when we've got all these activities going on. You know, it might not be a lot. For some families it is and for other ones maybe not. But how how is that time spent? And I find a lot too, I see it in schools and I've seen it with my own kids too. I've talked about like the function of behavior before. So with kids, and I mean with anyone, behavior is a form of communication. It just happens a lot more with kids because they don't have the language all the time to communicate. So the behavior is how they communicate. And so behavior serves a purpose. They're doing it because they're getting something out of that. And lots of the time, I see kids seeking attention. That's what they want. And unfortunately, if we think about it, if we've got Sally sitting playing with whatever toy she's doing her job. She's got this. She's fine. She's not bugging you. You're probably just going to let her be. It's like, sweet. Sally's a rock star. But if we've got, I don't know, Beth over there and she's having a meltdown, you're probably going to go and deal with Beth because she's losing it. In that instance though, we're essentially teaching that child and probably the other one that sees that oh when i do this i get mom's attention and so if they're wanting mom's attention they're learning because if they see that happen over a period of time they're gonna go oh okay well if i sit here nice and play i don't i don't get attention but if i have the meltdown i'm sure as heck gonna get attention and so our kids sometimes are learning that if they do the negative behavior that's how they get what they want. And so one of my things with connection is I feel like if we spend a bit of time, even 10, 15 minutes of concentrated time with our kids in a day, it can make a huge difference because it's alleviating, especially when we built it in before we maybe have an issue. It's building that child up and being like, oh, okay, I, I know that I'm going to get to spend time with mom here. I know that this is going to be special time with mom there and we're going to get to do something together. And that's what I really want. That's what I'm, I'm trying to get from mom is I just want her attention. And so building that in is like a proactive way to potentially potentially take that out of the equation. So if we have behavior and we know that we're providing the attention that that child needs, okay. The behavior isn't because of that, it's there's something else going on. And then we have to kind of be detectives there a little bit. But so when I talk about building meaningful connection in an example, or a thing that we do is we have supper conversations. And if it's a night, cause I've got four boys, two of them are in hockey. They don't play on the same team. So we're running But I can have that same meaningful conversation on my drive. I can take five, 10 minutes and have that conversation. And then they can do whatever that they're going to do to occupy themselves. Or we do it at the supper table. And what that looks like is each person in our family, they they get asked the following questions. So instead of saying, well, how was your day or how was school? And they just say, well, fine. Did you learn anything? We do what was the best part of your day? And they'll tell us what was a not so good part of your day. And they'll tell us. And then, you know, we might have more of a conversation from that. How did you show kindness? What are you grateful for? And what's a feeling you felt today? Those five questions. That's what we each person with the exception of the baby gets asked. And then whoever. So if I ask my oldest, he then gets to pick who he's going to ask. And he actually asks the questions himself. And he might ask some additional probing questions. And so we've been doing this for about three years and initially the answers were like, well, oh, happy, I'm grateful for my family, you know, like very generic, but after three years, it's actually really cool to see the answers that we get. And so through, throughout that time, like, especially cause I'm like, we want to build an emotional vocabulary and like increase their emotional intelligence and let them feel their feelings. And, you know, it's going to help them in the long run. That's fingers crossed. That's what we're aiming for. And like not that long ago, my son goes, I felt discombobulated today. And it's like, you <laughs> felt what? And it's super cool. Or like he might say, I felt overwhelmed or I felt anxious. I was frustrated with my teacher because we did nothing fun today. Or, you know, we get answers like I'm grateful for the food that we have, or I'm grateful for that we have a house or I'm grateful that the weather is nice. Like they've expanded and it's really neat to see. And again, that's like that's a meaningful, in my opinion, conversation where you're really starting to see pieces of them and who they really are and the things that are important to them. Mm -hmm. As opposed to if you say to them, what was the what did you do today? Well, nothing.
1: Yeah, I think the. The consistency is, is a good reminder for me too, because I mean, like we try to ask those open-ended questions, but when you do get those short answers or, you know, you can tell that they don't really want to answer, then you, you know, you kind of start to you give up a little or, or yeah. not, not ask anymore. But yeah, that reminder that, that it takes time for them to get used to the fact that this is going to be this is going to be an ongoing thing. So you might as well (laughs) settle in. And also your point about asking each other, because sometimes it can turn into just the parents asking the kids questions. And once in a while, my my husband and I'll be like, so honey, what did you do today? (laughs) You know, like, so I'm prompting, prompting him to be like, tell them something, you know, because, or, or asking one of the kids, like, ask your dad, if he did anything, interesting today, you know, that kind of stuff, because we want them to to get those conversation skills too, right? To to ask others what they're what they've been up to or what they're doing or, you know, to be interested in other people and not just think that they're going to be the focus of the attention all the time.
2: Well and it like it took a while. Like it wasn't it didn't start out and it was like miraculous or super awesome right off the get-go. Like it took lots of modeling and especially with the emotions. Like I would have to come home and be like, I was really frustrated at work today because I had a bad day. And they'd be like, well, why'd you have a bad day money? Well, this, I had a little person who had lots of big feelings and nothing mommy did helped. And so I felt really frustrated because I wanted to help and I couldn't help. And And that
1: modeling of when you have a hard day is, is a a good reminder too. you know, where sometimes I want to to not talk about the things that I struggle with in front of my kids. <laughs> so, you know, because it, it's easier to, to make it look like you've got it all together, but yeah, to let them know when you've struggled with something or, or had a hard time is good to let them know that you're not, you're not perfect either. And that, that things go wrong in your life.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I well, and I always think that like they, they learn from us. And so we mm-hmm. want them to ultimately learn that like, it's okay to have a bad day. This is what we can do from it as opposed to grow up and then all of a sudden be faced with that bad day and have no flipping clue what to do. Mm-hmm. So, or
1: think that, yeah, think that it's never happened, but,
0: yeah, but right, as but an there, adult, you should have it all together yeah.
2: because they're having that bad day. Yeah.
0: I think too, it's so critical to be able to model that we, you know, as a family, hopefully always love each other, but that we don't always like each other you know, I asked the girl child this morning, we were talking about that she loves the cats, she loves the dogs. And and I said, well, what about, you know, do you love your brother? She goes, no, he makes terrible choices. Because last (laughs) night he threw a toy at her. So she's done with him forever. I don't love him. I said, well, you know, you can dislike somebody and, you know, or dislike their actions and their choices and be unhappy with them and still love them. I said, you know, I love you guys more than anything else in the world, but there's still times that I don't like you very much. And she just looked at me and I was like, That's how it works. You know, we still love each other, but there are times we'll that like we can dislike each other and that's fine. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So supper is one example, or like on the drive, you could really ask those questions anytime. Bedtime is another time with routine what you know what you have in place for a routine it can be a beautiful opportunity for some connecting there planning date nights so we'll look at our calendar and you know it's not super easy with four kids but we will plan we might go and be like okay Aiden pick pick a date day i used to try and think okay we're going to do it like every week and that's just not realistic for me and it's it's it can't like it doesn't happen because then it becomes something that's stressful and it becomes another Mm -hmm. thing on that to-do list that you're resentful of because it's like oh I've got to do this now and and you're not enjoying it it's not meaningful and your kids can they can probably sense that so we might do like Aiden picks one a month like each child picks one a month perhaps and that's like a special date night where maybe you go to the drive-in or maybe you go to the park, just you guys. Like it doesn't even have to be something you spend money on, but it's intentional time with you and that one child one-on-one. And then that idea of quick 10, 15 minute hits of concentrated time. So if you know that your child is going to be super on a sorts at such and such time, and you've started to notice a pattern there, proactively about 20 minutes before that time hits, I would put intentional time there with that child even if five ten minutes Kate get off your phone put it away and you sit down and whatever your child wants to do they get to pick they want to color unicorns they want to build Lego they want to kick a soccer ball have at her and you do that with them for that time and it can probably I wouldn't you know it would be surprising how often that could potentially prevent that blow up from happening so that's that connection piece is the the first tip I guess that I wanted to talk about the next one is language use. And I found, I can't actually believe how impactful it's been, but I use this every day, times throughout the day. I'm really mindful of the language that I use when I'm speaking with my kids. I do have a child who has ADHD and oppositional defiance. And so we have some challenging behavior that we navigate there. And how I talk to him and the specific language I use with him makes a big difference um, because I do deal with quite a bit of defiance and the power struggles and all of that jazz and it it really helps so some of the the language that I'll use is like if you do this then this is going to happen and so if I'm using that in the sense of like a consequence like if he's doing something so actually this morning I had to use this he was using a word that I have told him multiple times is unacceptable to use and inappropriate. And he was having his screen time at that particular time. So I said to him, if you say that word one more time, then your Nintendo will be taken away. So about five minutes later, he used the word. I said, okay, I'd let you know that if you use that word again, the word, it's taken away. So it's gone. And he had been told that I followed through, which is huge. If you say you're going to do something, then you actually legitimately need to do it away. Even if it like really sucks, so bad but we need to follow through because if we don't then our kids are just going to be like oh well mom doesn't mean it she's not going to follow through so I'm just going to keep doing whatever I want so that's the if then is big we use that lots in schools too we use first then a lot so first we're going to do this so first we're going to have supper then we're going to have dessert or first we're going to go to grandma's then we're going to go to the park You can use it in so many different settings. You could even do it with preferred and non-preferred tasks. So if you want your child to do a chore, first you do your chore, then you get your free time. Same thing with when you do this, then you do that. So when you do your chores, then you get your screen time. And that takes away a bit of that piece of you fighting with them because it's like, no, I told you, yes, you can have your screen time, but when you do this first, then you're going to get this. I also use, so sometimes my oldest will get, we're getting to that age where we're getting a bit of lippy a little bit. And so it, I'm trying to think of an example where it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what it is, but like putting your laundry away. I don't understand why, why is that such a big deal to put your clothes away? But I'll be like, no, I'm not doing that. And I'm like, oh, are you asking me or are you telling me? Well, I'm telling you. Okay. Well, how about you ask me with some respect, please? well, can I put my and he'll say to me, and again, this is something we've had to practice of what it looks like. So if he goes, well, can I put my laundry away later? And so I go, okay, are you asking me for a compromise? Uh, yes, okay. well, what's your compromise? And he might suggest, can I put it away in 10 minutes? And so I think, okay, yeah, that's pretty reasonable. Is he still doing the task that I want him to do? A hundred percent. Can I give him 10 minutes? Sure, to finish up his game. There are going to be times where, a compromise is not possible depending on the situation. So what I'm saying here, isn't that a hundred percent of the time you need to compromise, but I've found in some cases where it's a situation where it's like, is this life or death? If he puts it away in 10 minutes, no. So can he have that hundred percent and we avoid a power struggle and a blow up. So that idea of compromise. And then you've gotten,
1: and then you've gotten an answer to about when it's going to happen, right? Where you, yeah. where, you know, you just want it done now because then you've got that reassurance that it's going to get done. Yeah. But then that compromise has also given him a bit of that power to say, oh, it's going to be when I'm done what I'm doing. So yeah, it still gets done, but yeah, you've, you've both won.
2: Yeah. Well, and in that instance too. So like I said, there are times where he might ask me for a compromise and it's something that legit needs to get done or it's something that hundred percent has to happen and it has to happen right now. So I'll say to him, I can't compromise on this, buddy. I'm sorry, it needs to get done. But because I've, he's also experienced instances where I have compromised, it makes it easier in that sense because he knows that there are times where yes, mom will compromise. And that kind of brings us to, well, I think about it a lot where I'm like, okay, what kind of kids do I want to raise? As adults, do I want them to have blind faith and authority that they're just going to do whatever anyone tells them to do? Like someone could tell them to like, go shoot somebody and they be like yep someone told me to do it and I've learned that I just need to do whatever the hell I'm told or like and that's an extreme example but do mm-hmm. I want to have raised kids who as adults are just going to believe whatever they're told and do whatever they're told and never question anything or do I want to raise kids who have the ability to think critically and compromise and and have you know some skills to ask some questions but I feel like sometimes we and I know I was raised where it was like I tell you to do something, you're going to do it because I'm the parent and you're the child and I said so. And so I honestly do think that that's part of why as an adult, I have really struggled with people pleasing and not being able to stick up for myself and not being able to say no when I'm asked to do something because as a child, I learned that that was bad. You were a bad person or a bad kid and you were disrespectful if you did that. And I don't want that for my kids. And I feel like there's a way to teach them that you can show respect and you can listen. And, you know, we can compromise on some things. And the idea of a compromise is that something that works for you, but it also works for me. We're meeting in the middle. It doesn't have to be my way or the highway. And I know that that's not necessarily popular opinion, perhaps, because I think that there's still a lot of people who are like, I'm the parent, you're the child and you're going to listen to me because I said so. But that's at least what I found to be to be helpful is, is some of that language use. And again, like that, that big one with like, are you asking or are you telling me? And if you're telling me, then you need to ask me and you need to do it with respect. And this is what it's going to look like. So I'm still very much enforcing that you need to talk to me respectfully mm-hmm. as well as other
0: people.
1: Yeah. I'm thinking about this in terms of some of like the chores that the kids are doing in the barn these days, you know, there are certain things that have to get done at certain times, right. When you're looking after livestock, you know, they yeah. need to get fed at certain times of day and, you know, to keep them healthy and watered and all those types of things, those are the things that are going to happen on a schedule. But then there are those other tasks that it's like, you know, this has to happen within the next few days you know, let's figure out a time that that works when, you know, maybe it's not so hot or maybe when, you know, one of your parents has time to help you with it or things like that, where, where there's those, yeah, not everything has to be done right now, like jump because I said so, but let's, let's communicate about when things need to get done and how it's going to get done and give them some ownership over those, those tasks that still need to happen.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think too it comes down. Well, and I I know it does. It comes down a lot to control. Like kids are are like us too. Like you you and I, we all want to have some feeling of control over our life, right? Because if mm-hmm. we don't, it makes us feel anxious and not good at all. And kids are no different in the sense that they just want to feel like they have some control over something. And it's not that they need to have everything and have leeway. But, you know, can we give them little snippets where they can make a decision? They're still essentially doing the task that you want them to do, but they have a choice. And, OK, do I do it now before supper or do I do it after? And they get to make that choice. They're still doing what you want them to do. There's just a little bit of leeway there. hmm. Yeah. And then the last thing has to do with with self-regulating versus co-regulating. So the idea of regulating our body when we're feeling anxious or scared or angry. And I talked about it a little bit that like when we're feeling that way, we our brain has essentially entered into that mode where the upper parts of our brain that rationalize are are off. So most of the time, talking it out isn't going to help you at that point or your kids. So if your child's having a panic attack, it's not going to help them to be like, it's okay, honey. Like everything's fine. Just breathe. Not going to help them. Or like, if you think about it, lots of the time we'll tell kids who are like having issues or freaking out or not feeling good. Well, just calm down. Just calm down. Take a breath. Just calm down. Yeah. Whenever someone
1: tells me to calm down, that really helps.
2: Yeah. Well, you probably right? tell them to F off. It's like, if my husband comes to me, it's like, just calm down. I would be like, there's the door. Like, yeah. you're not going to, who are you to tell me to calm down? Like, what the heck is wrong with you? And you know, <laughs> because we're not, we're not able to access the parts of our brain. We're like, oh, he's just trying to help me. Like, no. So Oh, really? Is calm what I'm supposed to be right now?
1: I hadn't thought that. I thought of that one.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Like, holy man. And our kids, like if we think about it, like adults have more of an opportunity to rationalize and think things through and access those parts of our brain better than our kids because they've had more time to develop and our kids aren't at that level yet. Add on top of that, that they don't have the same ability with language that we do. And it makes it really challenging for them. So to say to them, okay, go to your room and calm down, is that teaching them anything? Not really. Sometimes it's actually teaching them that when we experience big emotions, we can't show those around other people. It's bad. So I have to go somewhere by myself and try and figure it out. So in those moments, we need something called co regulating, which is where we actually regulate with our kids. We help them to regulate. And our partners can actually, we could do this with our partners, or our partners can do it with us. It's not just applicable to kids, but the idea of having someone to help you to regulate. So if my child is having a panic attack, instead of saying, okay, breathe and just standing there, I'm actually going to get down on their level. I'm going to grab their hands. I'm going to look into their eyes, and I'm going to breathe with them. And we're going to do it together. And so we're going to take a deep breath in and we're going to count and we're going to breathe out together. And we're going to do that until their breathing starts to come down and they are not having that panic attack anymore because they can't access that on their own. They need my help to do that. Another thing that I found. So again, keeping in mind that we're co-regulating, that's the piece we need to do with them is we need to do it with them. We need to help them is using. And I find with, with, I said specifically small kids, but if you're starting out and the concept is new to older kids too, I would still use it. Like use a prop like if we're working on breathing get one of those like little windmill spinny thingies from the dollar store like it's a buck and they will breathe and they're gonna see oh i have to breathe pretty hard and take a deep breath in and do a deep breath out to make the make it move and that's reinforcing and getting them to practice that breathing If we're working again, breathing is a good exercise. And I mean, breathing is, breathing has a profound impact on, on our, our nervous system and our ability to calm it down, but use a stuffed animal, have them lay on their tummy. And it's like, okay, we're going to make our, we're going to make our stuffy move. And Mommy's going to do it with you. And we're going to make our stuffy move by making sure that we're taking big belly breaths. And so they can see, they can physically see as they're practicing that skill. And again, this is something that we don't just do these things when our kid is having a freak out, because if that's the only time we're going to do it, lots of the time, we're not necessarily going to have success. We need to start to introduce them when our child is calm and be like, okay, we're going to practice some things that that can help you to feel better when you're not feeling so good, or when you're really angry, or when you feel nervous. And we're going to try a bunch of different things, because sometimes some of them aren't going to work. And that's okay. Or some of them you might not like, but we try a lot of them so that you have ones that you can pick and choose, then you get to know which ones you like and which ones you don't. So breathing is when there's lots of research about cold therapy, And how it can trigger your nervous system into, like, instead of being in that fight or flight response, it can trigger you into what's called the rest and digest, where you basically calm your nervous system down and you're able to calm and regulate yourself. So obviously, I'm not going to suggest that you throw your kid in the cold shower or anything like that. And there's like lots of like, I remember someone tell, it was actually a psychiatrist that told me that she's like, well, like immerse your face in really cold water. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that to a kid. Like, (laughs) I'm going to end up getting that sounds like waterboarding because I'm trying to do cold therapy with him. Like, (laughs) so, but you could give them a piece of ice to hold. Same thing. Give them a popsicle. What kid isn't going to want to eat a popsicle. It's something cold. Mm -hmm. Plus it's something that they're probably going to like and see, does it help?
1: Yeah. I know. Yeah, Or one of those little ice packs, you know, like yeah. put it, put it on your arm, try it on your neck, you know, like yeah. put it on different parts of your body and try and see if, you know, like get them and getting them to focus on their, you know, like on the, how that feels and that kind of stuff too. Yeah.
0: I know our, our five-year-old daughter has a tendency to get over excited about things and dysregulate to the point that she will start puking and like full scale and it's not like oh i'm so excited puke it's like she just gets more and more dysregulated and last time she said something about her her head was too hot and so i grabbed an ice pack and just slapped it on the back of her neck and no puke thank god and just fairly immediate calm because she was you know paying attention to that ice pack instead of just winding herself up more
2: engaging a sense right which again Mm -hmm. is is hitting it's kind of triggering that because that lower part of that regulatory physical system like is your brainstem and it like engaging a sense helps with that so sight smell taste like all of those it'll help and that cold piece is is huge and then the other one and we kind of touched on this already too was was moving your body that's a huge we just need to get that that energy and like i've seen kids who honestly are so worked up that they are shaking. Like they are trembling. I've seen it in school and it's like, holy man, like you've got so much built up into your body right now and we've got to get it out. Like, because they can't, you can't function like that. And that can't, it doesn't feel good in your body. And so like that could be going for a walk or a run, or maybe you could be like, Kate, we're we're going to do a a game. We're going to do a race. You and mommy are going to race and seeing if, if that can get it out, or let's jump on the trampoline, anything like that. In school, often what we do is we'll do like a three-part brain break. So it'll have to be, and we try to do this as preventative, but the occupational therapists typically say the brain break needs to like contain three components. It needs to contain something that's going to get your heart rate up. It needs to include some static stretching So we might do animal poses or yoga poses, just some simple stretching, and it needs to contain some kind of breathing exercise. Those are the three components that they advise in school that we try to build into a brain break. That's more as a preventative measure. And if we're looking at if we have a kid who's already escalated, we would need maybe more of that physical activity piece to help get some of that those big feelings and that energy and the hormones and stuff that are, are running through their body out and then transition into the deep breathing piece. Yeah.
1: Those are good tips too, for, you know, even incorporating those brain breaks into, you know, life during the summer or, you know, when they were in there out of school, I hadn't th- thought of those three components together before you know like because sometimes you think like you know like let's get outside and move around for a while but yeah doing those other elements as well is a
0: a good reminder yeah so moving along here mariah we ask all of our guests if you were going to dominate a category at a county fair what would it be and categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win
2: i actually had to when i saw this question i like drew a blank i was like oh my goodness what would i do my husband's like singing and i was like well maybe but I was like, I can—I don't know how to can stuff. I mean, I can bake good, but I don't think good enough to win like something. So we're going to go with singing. Either that or if there's a babysitting category, I would crush the babysitting category. Oh,
1: that's a good one. People are always looking for good babysitters. So I will move us then into our cussing and discussing segment. We've registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we will play them on the show. So go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we can read it out for you. So Katie, what are you going to cuss and discuss this week?
0: So I left myself a note, Arlene, so I'd remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking about other people's bodies. Physical changes, medical status, especially with regards to weight loss or gain or looking pregnant. Because I'm, I'm of cringing the, here. Yeah. So I still look probably six months pregnant a lot of the time because I have, I think, five or six abdominal hernias, two umbilical hernias, all under a diastasis. So it's a hot fucking mess. And having dealt with years of infertility to be left still looking pregnant, it occurs to me that if you're not going to walk up to somebody in a wheelchair and be like, hey, are you going to get better? Or are you just, like, are you just, you're going to be in there forever? Like, if you wouldn't presumably be that much of an asshole, don't ask about somebody's stomach. It's yeah. none of your fucking business. Even if I was pregnant, it's none of your fucking business. If I have lost weight... Don't assume that I'm super stoked about it. Maybe I'm sick. If I've gained weight, maybe I am stoked about it. Still, none of your fucking business. You know, if I am not paying <laughs> yeah, you for let's your let's just not comment on each other's on bodies. This don't fucking ask. It's not your business. I am done. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's um, always
1: just a good idea just to not
0: comment on other people's bodies ever. I'm just <laughs> even with doctors. I mean, they're questions they might ask at the emergency room or something about, you know, like unexpected, unexplained weight gain or loss. Sure. Fine.
1: And they have to ask everyone between the ages of about 10 and 70, whether they're pregnant. That's, that's yeah. a standard yeah. question. If you're, if you look like you might be a female. Fine.
0: But past that, if I am not paying you for your opinion on this specific thing, I don't want to fucking hear about it. That's a good one. Valid. And you, yep. can, you can advocate for yourself and your children and anybody else you see about that one. I had an emergency room doctor try to force my child to speak to him when she had already been in several years of speech therapy for not speaking at all. And I'm sure he got a more forceful education than he might have anticipated on that one. Because she doesn't fucking talk. I thought would have been clear enough for why she would not answer his questions. Got it. Yeah. You know, seemed simple to me anyway, Mariah, what do you have to cuss and discuss?
2: Oh, it's so we had, we had like, Oh, it was so sad. We had a big, like beautiful tree that like snapped and landed on our garage. And so our garage is shot. And then we had two more that like actually were uprooted
1: Oh and I yeah, turned with the whole our thing. deck
2: into a teeter totter, <laughs> and so the tree itself didn't wreck the garden. What wrecked the garden was the people who brought in the equipment to remove the tree. Were what actually wrecked
1: the right. garden? Yeah, and they, I was that like, wrecked all the other stuff.
2: Seriously, and so like trying to go through insurance, and it's like, well, are you going to like? The, the, here's a picture of my yard. Like it's gone. I've got four kids and like I like to be able to have a space for them to play and like there's glass everywhere and my gazebo is like bent and mangled and and it's like you know like we pay for insurance for a reason mm-hmm. didn't this get dealt with and they're like well we don't cover landscaping oh, and I've great. got like literally like deep Gouged holes from this tree in my yard that my kids have just started putting water into and they're using it as like mud soup or something (laughs) now you
1: you have a mud kitchen
2: whatever like you do you like if this is the one tiny square of the yard that we can play in that's not like an actual like safety hazard you do you like Mm. um, but yeah it's super frustrating because I'm like why do we pay for insurance then like if if they can come in and totally tear up my entire lower part of my lawn and like wreck my garden and like all of my perennials but we're not actually going to replace that stuff because like perennials that cost like plants cost a ton of money Mm -hmm. and i'm like this is dumb it actually does take me off a
0: little bit it does insurance yeah insurance companies too are like well we cover tree damage but only from pine trees not deciduous <laughs> trees and only in march so you're fucked you're like, yeah cool. only if
1: it fell because <laughs> an asteroid hit the tree yeah and, yeah
2: yeah well yeah, and it, it only like- counts we're like it's been like my yard has been like this. It's going on like three weeks, and the our insurance ladies on holidays, and it's like how can you keep leaving it like this? Like, isn't there like a process where like someone picks up for you if you decide to peace out for like a the rest of the summer? <laughs> yeah, like, don't you have to replace yourself oh, for oh for your vacation? Yeah
1: yeah, yeah. i'm
2: trying to like positively like be like okay we're gonna like it's okay like we just need to mindset change here and i'm like every time i look in the backyard i'm like no i can't out mindset this one right now we're just yeah. not gonna look at it
0: lean what do you have to cuss and yeah. discuss so
1: i will say that i am a big fan of the environment and i want to save the world <laughs> and all that kind of stuff but so there's they've enacted a a single-use plastic ban that's coming into effect in, in Canada. So, I mean, I was getting used to the cardboard straws and I don't like them, but I can deal with them. But the other day I ordered Sunday, a caramel sundae at McDonald's. They're just like the perfect size, so cute, like just the right amount of caramel and ice cream. It's like the perfect ratio for me. And now they have wooden spoons and it's like eating off of a plank of wood and it just ruins the whole experience. So I don't know if I'm going to have to start carrying cutlery in my minivan or what's going to happen. But I, I don't like
0: wooden spoons. Are they like the weird That's short just, little just garbage. paddle ones? No,
1: it's like, no, it like a full size one because I mean, like the Sunday container is fairly deep, right? So it's like almost the same dimensions as like a regular spoon, but made of wood. And it tastes, it's just like the bad I, on my tongue. No, I hate it. No wooden spoons. No, thumbs down. Katie's shaky. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: I don't like the cardboard straws either.
1: No, I mean, you have to drink so fast because it's like, I guess I'm going to have to drink this beverage before the straw disintegrates in the cup. I would rather just have some lids with
0: holes in the top, but then they're made of plastic too. So I don't know where they're going to go. I mean, I'm a Midwestern American. We're still pissed about the lack of like styrofoam Big Mac containers. So we're not on the wooden spoons yet. Yeah, yes, single-use
1: plastic bands are, are not coming through yet. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh. On that well. note, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to find out more about you and about Motherhood Unraveled, where can they find you online? Where can they chat with you? What's um, the place to look?
2: Instagram would be the best place right now. We've got a website in the works. It's just not up and running yet. So yeah, just motherhood and then under, what do you call it? underscore. Underscore? Yeah. Unraveled is where you can find
0: me. But thank, thank you, you so very much. much for
2: having us. I yeah. Really yeah. Thanks for
0: having us. On. today. Thanks for coming on. I was going to say thanks for having us on, but <laughs> to our listeners, thank you for listening and to Mariah. Thank you for coming and talking. with yeah. us. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com barnyardlanguage to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making a show.
1: Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss
0: an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search
1: of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.